This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the Bowtie Bandit of Blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. Today, we're rounding with Carrie Bowler, an assistant professor of laboratory medicine and pathology and program manager of staff development for the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic. And today, we're going to be discussing interprofessional collaboration. Thanks for joining us today, Carrie. Hey, thanks, Justin. I'm happy and excited to be a part of this podcast on a topic that I'm definitely very passionate about. So thank you for this opportunity. Absolutely. I think this one's hitting uh, close to both of our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> so there seems to be a lot of buzz around the need for interprofessional education and interprofessional collaboration. Can you kind of take us through these concepts? Uh, how are they the same or how are they different? Yeah, absolutely. So really glad that you asked that question because I really think at the heart of these two concepts, we really have some shared foundational elements, but yet they really are indeed different. I think that the most simplistic way of explaining IPE versus IPC, and when I use the abbreviations IPE, I mean interprofessional education, and IPC meaning interprofessional collaboration. IPE is really occurring in a health professions learning environment. So think about that formal training environment when a health professional is being taught what is the professional scope of practice, what are the responsibilities, what does this look like, and what they will be doing when they enter practice. And in that environment, we really focus on learner outcomes, where in IPC, so interprofessional collaboration, we're really looking at the health professions learners as they enter that independent practice setting. And in that, we really look at more of the ongoing learning that occurs in the environment and the people that are they're working with. And our focus then is on patient outcomes. Okay, so these are some, maybe for some of our listeners, maybe this is some new concepts. Uh, maybe for other of our listeners, uh, this is something they've heard and have heard about before. I wonder, maybe we can kind of take a, a Simon Sinek angle to it and, you know, what's the why here? You know, why should healthcare institutions, us as individuals, why should we kind of prioritize this interprofessional either education or, or collaboration and practice? I'm going to share a little story, too, about, I guess, my professional background as a, as a laboratorian. I uh, grew up in transfusion medicine when I came to Mayo Clinic, and I have a different conceptualization of what that patient's need would be, as well as perhaps the provider's need from that field's perspective. I'm concerned about finding out what antibodies pre present in a particular sample, and I want to find a compatible blood product for my patient. And by far, I want to ensure a safe process throughout that whole environment. So really making sure the right product is given to the right patient at the right time. However, in most institu institutions, we're hardly interfacing with the patient that's receiving that product or other providers that are requesting that product and to really understand the complexities maybe that are existing in that environment. And collectively, when we can come together, this is a perfect example of how our fragmented knowledge can really advance our discipline and our practice. And so a great outcome from my story here is I came to Mayo and was absolutely so impressed that we had a conference setting 
where laboratorians and clinicians could come together and discuss all of the care plans of the patients that were being seen in the practice. And in addition, the one takeaway or pearl from this that I had was I had almost a daily opportunity to have informal on-the-job learning from all of these experts in the field. And when we think about that, it really, really reinforces what the literature is saying about interprofessional collaboration, which it points to a positive patient outcome that's attributed to enhance provider job satisfaction and mental health of those providers, and that we can have an enhanced teamwork and really impact the efficiencies that we see within our organization and ultimately then reduce those costs. So that's my way of wrapping back around to the Institute of Medicine's triple aim of how we can see advancements for the why of interprofessional collaboration. Yeah, and, and so and I hear several things in, in your answer just there about, you know, it, by doing an interprofessional collaborative practice, it brings down cost, it adds efficiency to the yeah. practice. And, and I heard you also talking about uh, satisfaction of yeah. people yeah. on the healthcare team. Uh, yeah. What do you what do you say to people? I'm glad you mentioned this sort of the, the conferences that you saw when you came to Mayo and and by all means that's not something that happens exclusively at Mayo, but I imagine right. that there's a lot of people listening where, you know, they have meetings and maybe they say, Yeah, <laughs> this this is what we do. Maybe if we take the example of microbiology, since yeah. this is a lab medicine podcast, great. A lot of times infectious disease uh, clinicians will come down to the lab uh, periodically for like a plate rounds and, and we've got medical uh, technologists that are involved. We have our pathology residents, uh, pathologists involved. And so, you know, you have, you have people together. Mm -hmm. uh, does that mean that interprofessional collaboration is happening or, or happening well? Is, is there some way to, to understand that? Yeah, that's an excellent comment you make. And I, and I think that if I were to try to provide a perspective of how do you know if interprofessional collaboration is really occurring, is to step back and look at the individuals that are in the room or in that meeting space and see who those stakeholders are. I think there's the perception that many people believe they're engaged in a collaborative practice setting, but in reality, they're really only engaged in a collaborative team environment of subspecialists. So I'll take laboratory medicine and pathology again. Um, we have a very subspecialized um, division for anatomic pathology. And we can have breast pathologists, we can have GI and liver pathologists, we can have bone soft tissue pathologists. And I can guarantee that on a daily basis, there's communications happening amongst those subspecialists. But until you can look at a meeting environment or in setting and say, okay, who else besides a pathologist is present, we're not going to get to collaborative practice. When you step back and really look at it, when I say all stakeholders are representative in this meeting from across the care lines, we also need to step back and think about that environment. So perhaps is there an opportunity for the patient that is on the receiving end of our care line? And I know in pathology, it's quite different. But what would happen if we brought in a patient and they could see how their lab test was actually produced? What about how if they could interact with uh, the pathologist as they're signing out um, their biopsies? 
And you think about, too, the interconnection of the radiologists that are maybe looking at some of our soft tissue pathology um, and needing to treat those patients. The other aspect of this, if we think back to the Institute of Medicine's triple aim, is thinking about community impact. And is there disparities present? How are we getting that feedback? So I think about if I, again, kind of align this in pathology, what we have as standard of practice for access to care might be different in other countries that we are, are not maybe aware of. And so being able to get our community's perspective and saying, you know, are we really collaborating to address what is the issue within our community? Are we really collaborating in order to provide the best patient outcome? Because oftentimes we think the patient is the one that's needing to follow their treatment plans, but really there's so much impact from the family members too that are present in that care coordination. And so thinking about coming back to the essence of interprofessional collaboration, we need to be able to collaborate across all of our health professions and not just be so interdisciplinary in our care coordination. And the, the really vision for this collaboration is that we can have a shared team identity in order to work closely together to solve those problems and improve our delivery of care. Wow, I, I like how when you started off answering this, you, you're talking about that who, you know, who's in the room and, and how important that is, but also you extended that to really kind of put that focus on the how, and, and not only the how, but, but put focus on what is that outcome. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I'm hearing from you is what does that mean for the patient? Is, is that is that output something that is each person has, you know, added a, a Lego component or, or have each of the people present been able to combine their input into construct something maybe out of Legos uh, that, that's useful for the patient. Right, right. For more laboratory education, including a listing of live conferences, webinars, and on-demand content, visit news.mayocliniclabs.com forward slash education. I imagine that this sort of working, this maybe for some people this might be working differently or for other people that are working along these lines, because I guess this is a skill set. So this isn't something that's just like a knowledge deficit that once you learn it, you're Right. You know, once you know how to tie your shoes, you're, you're, you're good, uh, but something that's going to develop over time. I'm curious about, especially because you have a lot of experience uh, working in a couple different areas, what do you think that the challenges that get in the way of developing this skill of interprofessional collaboration? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question because honestly, I feel like in order to make any sort of change, we need to be able to identify what barriers or challenges exist in order for us to address those. And if we don't know what's our, at our heart of our issues, there's really no solve to that. And when we look at the literature, you can see that a lot of challenges encountered with maybe the implementation or seeing how this is applied in practice 
are rooted in culture. So both from a macro and meso level. And when we think about, I had talked about how a, a learner transforms from interprofessional education in their learning environment into the interprofessional collaboration space of being a practice, pr practicing professional. We have to think about that overarching structure that there's an environment in which both of these things coexist. And they're interdependent of each other, but yet they're dependent of, of on each other. And when we can think about how culture has that impact, we can think about maybe ways of where there is opportunity for change. And I speak about culture because every professional practice or professional practice has a culture that exists within it. You know, I have a lot of bias and assumptions when I think about, well, what is a physician? What is a nurse? As well as my own held, you know, bias of what is it a laboratorian is doing? In addition to that, you have institutional culture that manifests, you know, so thinking of Mayo Clinic, the needs of the patient come first. You can see it in everywhere, in the hallways, you know, how the teams are interacting with, with each other. And there's a read of an environment based on the symbols of what we see, you know, placed on the walls in your institution. When we think about how um, care is provided, so the by who, what are they doing, what's that shared language they're using, when we can examine culture from that perspective, that's where we can look at opportunities for improvement. There's a lot of uh, stories in the literature that talk about OR teams and coordinating of care and how there's hierarchical um, elements in how communications are done within the team. And if we can erode uh, those power structures, the ability for us to have a safe care environment is that, is that much better. Um, when I think about the emphasis of collaborative practice, I also think about role modeling and how some of these beliefs and the values of our organization are ingrained into the norms of that culture. So as learners in an environment where IPE is happening, they need to see IPC modeled to them. We need to see it weaved into our institutional fabric, you know, so that it's really easy for them to integrate this in their practice and, and reap the downstream impact. I also think about governance and policy, right? So needing to see some of the impact of what we need to do differently is examining that governance that's in place in an institution. And this is also governance that's impacted by our regulatory bodies. It's also influenced by our leadership. And so when we can look at what's present there, we have an ability to recognize where opportunity might exist for integration of IPC core competencies. Wow. I, you know, um, in answering that, I heard kind of really a lot of initial steps that it sounds like uh, recommendations that yeah. people can take. Like, uh, I heard you talk about the uh, symbols that you see in, in your institution. So right there, thinking about uh, leaders that are listening to this podcast can think about and maybe uh, look with fresh eyes as they yeah. walk down the hallway or hallways or attend some of these interdisciplinary rounds and critically assess what, what they're seeing and what is that value that, that underpins that. I, yeah. I also hear you talk about, I think about it almost like a chicken and the egg when we talk about like the education, but then the collaboration, collaboration and practice and 
and and you know that's where that's where my mind went when you're talking about role modeling so mm -hmm. as we think about the people that are out there maybe maybe we haven't been trained in this skill explicitly but maybe this is a skill that we need to put on our dashboard for our next kind of cycle of continuous professional development as as a skill that we need to move the needle on yes um, it's, it's not a check the box type of 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 concept and i imagine then also i, I think i heard you talking about critical reflection in your answer as well and that's where i think for the students that are maybe listening to this podcast to think about how is the the interprofessional rounds that they're participating in how is it coming out with a blended outcome that's important to the patient or where is it falling short i imagine that's a way that they can kind of um, get more out of their learning experience and, and be in a better position to practice in the future. Yes, I, I love the fact that you brought up critical reflection because that would be one of, I would say, my takeaways is, you know, my, one of my first takeaways would be, would be is for an organization um, to really look at what their team dynamics are in place, right? So one of the, the core elements of IPC is having healthy team dynamics. And what they really talk about is having somebody attend to that process, right? So appointing somebody to say, how did this team, how did we coordinate and how did we function as a team? You know, and that includes conflict management as well. But the other point that you make is not only is it a team sport, it's also an individual sport because I contribute in an individual way to that team. And I have to take it moment to critically reflect on how my actions had impact on the team setting. And, you know, there's a statement by Dewey that says we don't learn by doing, we learn from our experiences, but really more of we learn by reflecting on our experiences. So critical reflection is definitely a skill that a provider, a student, anybody should be developing and is encouraged in an IPE and IPE. C setting. You know, that for me was a wonderful learning point uh, when I started a critical reflective practice is all of a sudden then I noticed, and maybe I'm behind the curve here relative to everybody else, but um, I, I struggled before about learning from negative situations where something didn't necessarily going, go so well. I probably didn't have the best mindset and I saw, I just was like, oh, well, you know, this is a, a bad experience or a bad situation. I'm not learning much from that. And uh, after I've developed this skill of critical reflection, I, I've been able to start taking away something from every situation. I can learn from positive experiences, but I can learn an equal amount from a negative experience. What should I continue to do more of? What do I need to stop doing? And mm -hmm. I can do that from my own uh, practice or observing the practices of, of others. I'm curious, what has surprised you most about interprofessional collaboration? I think that's a great question. When, I, when I've reflected on this, I think the, the surprise is really how 
simple the smallest little step can be to start to create that culture um, that you have to have passionate leaders around these topics and honestly it really only takes one to start a movement and then you'll get people picking it up but the other surprise was how hard it can be to change culture right so thinking about your organizational culture or the professional culture in which you exist you know there's there's many prideful things as a profession that we hang our our hats on the scope of practice and what we're able to do um, and being able to let down that that guard and and invite others in so I, I think that in the essence it seems simplistic but when you think about how you advance these things, you need to get a movement underneath it and, it and it starts with having passionate individuals and an endorsement from your organization and the leaders within that can actually influence change from a cultural perspective. That's wonderful. I think that also kind of goes back to this kind of timely thing of, so for listeners, we're recording this uh, podcast in the throes of the COVID pandemic, which has really raised some of the visibility of the laboratory and how clinicians are using this information, what information they're using. There's been a lot of discussion in the news about the testing that's done, and there's a lot of variability, understandably mm -hmm. so, as we're responding to a, an urgent, uh, evolving pandemic. There's a lot of variability in the test, which kind of underscores this importance of laboratorians and clinicians really having a, a very strong collaboration, an ability to blend their perspectives, because that's how we're going to do something good for patients. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Wow. Thank you so much, uh, Carrie, for joining us today and talking about interprofessional collaboration. This has been wonderful. Yes, absolutely. My pleasure. So thank you listeners also for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to mcleducation at mayo.edu and reference this podcast. If you've enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations.